It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. But now on this day, Lou's Day, there's someone else in the baseball world that you need to know about. And that's my best friend, Sarah Langs, who was diagnosed in 2021 with the disease when she was just 28 years old. Sarah is a leader in the ALS community. She inspired me to run a half marathon in January that resulted in us raising more than $100,000. Now, Sarah has used her platform to start the hashtag Fist Bumps for ALS campaign, raising awareness and donations to find a cure for ALS. The average life expectancy after getting your diagnosis is just two to five years. It's sad to me to know that 82 years after Lou Gehrig's death, there's still no cure for ALS. But on this day, there's some hope knowing that people like my friend Sarah are still fighting to make a difference. If Lou ever had the chance to meet Sarah, I think he'd be proud of both her courage and her grace. I know I am. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by MLB.com national content editor, Matt Myers. Today is Friday, June 2nd, 2023. We have a whole lot of baseball stuff we're going to get to. The Diamondbacks are tied for first place. Aaron Judge is just kind of doing it again. The NL Central has all five teams within four and a half games. Joe Ryan is living up to every expectation I had of him and more. And of course, Matt and I have a couple of guys we're going to get to. Before we get into that, today is obviously a very important day. It is June 2nd. It is Lou Gehrig Day across Major League Baseball. And as uh, pretty much everybody who listens to this podcast feeds knows, there's another version of this show with Sarah Langs and Mandy Bell. And Sarah, of course, has been pretty open about her battle with ALS. And we wanted to take a minute today to you know, highlight the things that you can do to help support her. Um, tonight at City Field in New York, Sarah, with the help of her boyfriend, Matt, is going to throw out the first pitch. There is going to be a Lang star in every broadcast booth across baseball tonight. There's obviously a ton of, of, you know, highlighting the important work that still needs to be done because it's been 80 years now since Lou Gehrig passed and there just hasn't been a whole lot of progress in this. And Sarah has handled this, I think, with more grace than any of us could have. And what she's really done is to shine a light on how much more work is still necessary to, to do. So you can support her and everybody else suffering. MOB.com slash four, the number four, ALS. Tons of fundraising info there. She actually picked one player per team to sign a bat for auction. Uh, a couple big stars like Mookie Betts and Mike Trouts, but also players uh, who have some personal connection to someone who has suffered from ALS. So, uh, Matt, obviously, you and I have known Sarah for quite some time, both at MLB and previously at ESPN. Uh, one of our closest friends, one of the best researchers in the game, and really anything that we can do to help her and help everyone who's suffering with this, I think, is well worth our time. 
Exactly. I'm not really sure I can add to that. You know, I think that, you know, Sarah wrote wrote a piece today on on um, on ESPN.com uh, about sort of the outpouring of emotion that you know, outpouring of support she's she's received since announcing her diagnosis last October. Um, and this has kind of been her message since you know she went public with her diagnosis of like how important it is to appreciate people um, while they're while they can hear it and while they can while they can enjoy it and benefit from it and bond over it. Um, and I think that's just like such a, a magnanimous and um, thoughtful and beautiful way of, of kind of thinking about the diagnosis and sort of understanding. I don't even, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm at a loss for words, you know, it's just, it's Sarah, just her perspective on this is in, incredible. Um, and she's been an incredible friend, incredible colleague, um, just, you know, everything you've heard about her in the, uh, in the baseball Twitter spheres is true. And maybe, maybe it's an understatement. So, um, I will appreciate her. And, um, you know, it's, it's the, the least we can do is try and support ALS research because it's really, you know, it's, it's a really horrendous, horrendous disease with a deep connection to baseball. That's the other thing. It's like, there's so much intertwined with baseball because of Lou Gehrig. It is Lou Gehrig's disease that I feel like as baseball fans and all the, the, the connections there, catfish hunter, um, it's, it feels like it's part of the fabric of our sport. And so, um, you know, I remember two years ago when MLB first announced Lou Gehrig Day, and this is before we even knew Sarah had been diagnosed, we had my old ESPN colleague, Tom Hammerstrow, on, and he and his family had been part of a foundation that made made Lou Gehrig Day a reality because their mother had been diagnosed with, with ALS. So it's that's all I really got. If we're talking about the connections between baseball and ALS too, we have to mention the efforts of our pal John Shabby, who has been doing this for many years um, because in honor of a friend of his. So that's MLB.com slash 4ALS, the number four. And I, I was thinking about this. For, it, it's a heavy topic. And it, originally I was like, man, that's going to feel kind of weird to go from talking about that to, hey, the Diamondbacks are in first place. And then I was thinking if and when Sarah listens to this, she's going to be like, Stop talking about me. Start talking about baseball. <laughs> it's like her catchphrase. Baseball is the best. So I will I will note that it's less important to talk about the Diamondbacks than it is to talk about Sarah and all the work everybody's doing. And yet that's what she's going to want. She's going to want to hear about the Diamondbacks. Do you know how I know this? It's because I saw her tweeting about it yesterday, how excited she is that the Diamondbacks, who are a super fun team, are tied for first. So, I mean, that's, that is true. I think you and I were both, I don't want to say... Nobody thought the Diamondbacks would win the division, but we both thought they would be interesting and spunky in a way they hadn't been in a couple of years, right? They lost over 100 games, it was like what, 111, I think, two years ago. And they were a little bit better last year. And I remember going into this season, we were like, hey, a super fun team, right? That outfield's going to be great. I love Christian Walker. The pitching, I'm not so sure about the pitching. That's actually kind of held up to be true to some extent. Uh, but they are 34 and 23. They are tied with the Dodgers. Here's the thing that stood out to me the most, and I looked this up about 10 minutes ago. If you were to look at Fangraphs and you were to look at the uh, projected division odds uh, for the NL West, I kind of expected, yeah, but the Padres are still more talented and we're projecting talent level out and Juan Soto has been great. I really would have thought they would have the Padres above the Diamondbacks, and they do not. They actually have the Diamondbacks with better odds than the Padres. Now, the Dodgers are still the overwhelming favorite to win the division, and I still think that's what will happen. But I do think that says a lot about how far the Diamondbacks have come, that right now, Fangraphs thinks it's more likely they win this division than the Padres. Or maybe it just says more about the Padres. I don't know. Either way, it's good for Arizona. For sure. it's uh, You're right. We, I would say we were you know, relatively bullish on the D-backs, but yeah, this was... Where they are right now is a surprise, even to a, even to an optimist. And there, there's still some things about the roster that kind of give me a little bit of pause. But like, 
it's undoubtedly a fun team um, with some real like high end talent. Like because it's like not a huge market with like a you know, ton of history. It's you kind of get. I think it gets overlooked, but like you know. They, there's a very good chance they have the NL Cy Young winner and the NL Rookie of the Year on their team. Um, they probably have the favorites in both those categories right now, both guys having superstar seasons, and like that's kind of a big deal. Um, it really is. I mean, we talked, I think, pretty in-depth about Zach Allen a couple weeks ago, so I don't think we need to kind of rehash that. But what I like about this team is people look at them and say, hey, they're young and they're exciting. And it's like, well, they have the fourth most stolen bases, and they are tied for second in terms of best defense by both outs above average uh, and defensive runs saved. Corbin Carroll has been fantastic. He was, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much for picking him for NL Rookie of the Year because A, everybody did, and B, I also picked Gunnar Henderson, and that's not going so well in the American League. Um, but I think, you know, he has signed there for a long time. You know who I was talking to uh, is our friend and colleague, Jesse Sanchez, who uh, was in New York recently, uh, but is based in the Phoenix area. And his kids love baseball. And he's like, yeah, they love Corbin Carroll. You know, and I was thinking like, that's great because he signed there for a long time. He's not a guy that they'll get used to and that he's going to get traded. He will be a Diamondback for many years to come. And he's having a great year. I mean, kind of living up to every expectation we had of him. And uh, you've got this great note here. He, he looks like he's going to go 2020 with an OPS plus of at least 130, so 30% better than average, at 22 or younger. And really, Matt, since you kind of came up with this list and the names are so cool, I want you to read the other names on this list because they are wild. Well, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that he already has 16 stolen bases, so he's getting the 20 stolen bases. He has nine homers in 56 games or whatever the number is, so he's probably going to get to 20 homers. Thus far, in a, you know, he debuted last season and his OPS plus was like 135. This year, it's 143. So... His career OPS plus thus far, thus far is 139. So this feels like a thing that he's going to reach. The players to do it beforehand, there are nine players to do it in history. One player did it twice. The names are Alex Rodriguez, Fernando Tetis Jr., Manny Machado, Mike Trout, Julio Rodriguez, Orlando Cepeda, Cesar Cedeno, who did it twice, and BG Upton. And I see now Mike Trout did it twice. So seven players have done it. Mike Trout did it twice. Orlando, uh, Cesar Cedeno did it twice. Cesar Cedeno is one of those players who, like, because he played in the Astrodome in, like, the 60s, and they're, like, he has no... He had more than 50 career war. Like, that guy was, like, a superstar player. So, like, if Corbin Carroll has more than 50 career war, that's a big deal. The only disappointment on this list is B.J. Upton, who still had some great years and was, like, at a time considered, like, an otherworldly prospect. Point is, these were all superstar players. Corbin Carroll is very likely going to join this group, and he's just, like, a fun... He's you watch him. He's just a fun player to watch, right? Like it's it's um, he's got this like really like nice just sort of like gap to like this classic gap to gap line drive swing. He had a beautiful walk off single yesterday. Line drive to the opposite field, left center field gap. You look at his baseball savant page. It's just like everything is red. He like doesn't really have a weak. Like everything is like sixty. I think his only like weakness is arm strength is like fortieth percentile. Um, but like everything else is like 60 or 60th percentile or better. And almost everything is like 80 to 90th. It's just like he does everything well, um, well above average walk rate, reasonable strikeout rate. Just like he's he is a d- dynamic player who will probably run away with rookie of the year um, based on the way things are kind of going. Um, and I think it's going a little under the radar. I feel like, you know, when Acuna and Soto came up, people were just like freaking out. And I think... He doesn't have the one like sort of like loud tool or skill like those guys do. So maybe that's part of it. He's one of these more like, 
you know, Carlos Beltran dives where it's like, does everything well? So sometimes they get, they get underrated because like there's no standout thing. But this is like, I mean, it's probably a bet. I mean, I mentioned, you know, Julio Rodriguez last year. Like it's very similar to what Julio Rodriguez was doing last year. And people were freaking out about Julio Rodriguez. I'm going to argue with you about the no standout tool. His speed is elite. He is like the fastest band in baseball. That's one of the five tools. It's not the most important one, but it certainly counts. I'm going to take this moment as is my want to be a tremendous buzzkill for a second. So they have a young shortstop named Geraldo Perdomo. Not Luis Perdomo. We haven't talked about him in a minute, but Geraldo Perdomo had a really terrible year last year. 58 OPS plus. Remember, 100 is league average. This year, a 134 OPS plus. It is a massive, massive step forward. And I got to be honest, I have never in all my years of doing this, seeing someone overperforming their expected stats by as much as he is, he is hitting 278. His stat cast expected batting average is 200. Which is, and I get it. Stat cast does not account for everything. I'm absolutely sure he will overperform. He's not going to beat up by 78 points. It's not going to happen. That's fair. One thing I do, one other thing I want to say about the, the Diamondbacks is the trade they made last offseason. Which I did not, which I loved for them at the time, because I was a bit of a Dalton Varsho skeptic, at least from the offensive side. That is like the heist of the offseason, right? So for, for those who remember, the Blue Jays played a paid a premium to bring in Dalton Varsho. They 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 gave up two players. They gave up Gabriel Moreno, who was considered the 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 jewel of the trade, the catching prospect, and Lourdes Goriel Jr. Um, I, he may only have one year left on his contract. Is that why? Is he going to be a free agent after this year? I, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, Either way, Guriel, I mean, Varsho is having a strange year. I mean, it, for me, like, I know there's a lot more that goes into it than just like, oh, look at someone's like expected stats. And if they're, they're overperformed, they're going to regress or vice versa. But like Dalton Varsho was like a prime regression candidate on the offensive side. He's a player whose offensive, like whose expected stats did not match up with his actual stats at all last year. And the craziest part is, so for example, last year he had a 323 weight on base with a 298 expected weight on base, right? He did hit 27 homers, right? But the craziest part is this year, he actually has a higher expected weight on base than he had last year, but he has a 646 OPS this year. Um, he's still a good, he's a still a, you know, based on out above average, he's still above average, but not nearly as standout as he was last year. Defense, you know, there's obviously going to be some randomness there, but like Guriel is absolutely raking over the last 30 days. No one in baseball other than Aaron Judge, who we'll get to in a minute, has a higher weighted runs created plus than Lourdes Guriel Jr. And Gabriel Moreno has been like good as well. Like this trade has been an unmitigated win for the D-backs. In, in some unexpected ways, right? Like I don't think it's a big surprise that Varsho took a little bit of a step back with the bat, as you said, that you could have maybe seen that coming. Uh, did you see the Blue Jays catchers that they didn't trade taking a big step back? Alejandro Kirk has not been very good. Did you see Lourdes Gurriel being awesome after being kind of like forgettable last year? Is that dumb luck? Did the Diamondbacks help him out? I don't know. Uh, the other thing about Moreno is, um, you know, just look at the scouting reports. They'll say he's got a cannon for an arm. Well, the the newish stat cast metric for catchers trying to take into account the positions that their pitchers put them in. I mean, every catcher is getting killed out there trying to prevent stolen bases he is number one in baseball right now a plus five in terms of caught stealing above average which is basically saying he's taking the opportunities being given and he's still throwing guys out better than anybody else in baseball and i'm starting to think uh having watched baseball for the last two months that's an underrated skill right now <laughs> listen we grew up fans of the vets and dodgers and i can tell you this those teams cannot throw anybody out i'm very jealous of gabriel moreno right now 
Though good on the D-backs. It's a, it's a, it's fun to see a new team in the mix. You know, like I feel like we've seen, especially, in the, you know, a lot of the same teams over and over again. And I look at the NL landscape and I'm not going to say like, oh, I guarantee they're going to be, be in the playoffs, but I think that they're going to be, they're going to be in the race all season long. Um, the starting pitching depth, that's what gives me pause, really. It's like, Gallon's been amazing. Merrill Kelly's been good. And then after that, I'm not sure there's anyone I really trust. Um, you know, the, the obviously the Bumgarner is a bit of addition by subtraction. So there's going to be, in terms of like getting the bulk innings, that's my concern for this team. But um, they should, I think they'll stick around. I'm jumping ahead like two segments here, but you know what would help them get into the playoffs? If we just as a community decided the NL Central doesn't have to send a playoff team and just give Arizona one of those spots. I'd be fine with that. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging in fact wasabi is up to 80 percent less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from wasabi's ai enabled intelligent media storage wasabi air to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals data deletion and ransomware wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week we get into our three batter minimum where we pick three of the most interesting topics in the week. And our first topic is, have you noticed Aaron Judge just kind of doing it again? If you look, so he's played 47 games so far this year. Uh, he has got a OPS of 1,029, 18 homers, and 38 RBIs. If you would look at him, oh, that was last year, excuse me. If you look at him 47 games this year, 1,088, 18 homers, 39 RBIs. He has basically been the same guy as he was last year. And I don't know if you remember last year, he hit a whole bunch of home runs and broke records and won the MVP. And I'm really starting to think, so he missed about a week earlier in May last month uh, with a hip strain, which if you remember, suffered while trying to steal third base up by five runs. Maybe not the time you want to earn judge trying to slide head first and hurting himself. So the most games he can play this year is 151. And if he keeps hitting like this and he's, you know, crushing home runs in an hour into the end of the September, well, we're going to come back and rue that stolen base attempt because he's going to have missed the opportunities to hit 60 home runs again, because I'm starting to feel like we are. It does feel that way. And I think that like Judge is someone who you watch his at-bats, and it does, I'm not sure want to say he's gotten better, but I do feel like there's this, I think in my mind there was always kind of like, well, he's big as he gets a little older, and this still might happen as he gets older, but like I, you know, teams will figure out how to get him out. They'll pitch to him. There's holes in his swing. Like, how can he, you know, how can he, you know, prevent, you know, a, a, a ve- eventual regression? 
but he's just so disciplined. Like, yes, he will swing and miss a lot, but he doesn't chase. And like, you look at it, like his actually chase rate has gotten, it was always, it's always been good and it's gotten even better. And it's just like, he will not get himself out. And that just makes it so challenging because when he does make any kind of contact, obviously he's hitting it hard. And it's just, I've, I've been incredibly impressed by his evolution as a player because I, I, I think that after his first year, I sort of felt like, oh, well, like the, 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 this was fun. This was a novelty. The league will kind of figure him out. And it just like hasn't been the case. He's just gotten better and more consistent. Would you believe he's hitting it harder? I didn't think that was possible. Two years ago, his hard hit rate was 58%. Last year, 62%. This year, 64%. If he were to keep that up, it would be a new single season hard hit record at least in the years that StatCast has been tracking, 64%. So I went and I looked this up. I wanted to know what would happen, you know, counting for the games that he's missed, but like if he keeps his pace up. So if he plays every game the remainder of the season and on the same pace as what he's done so far, 58 home runs in 151 games. I actually don't think he will continue to do what he's done all season long because like even he's not as great as that. Um, but if he plays to, let's say, what Zip's projections have him projected for, uh, which is, you know, very, very good, but not identical to what he's done so far. 48 home runs in 140 games. He's not going to hit 60. He can't where he after missing that much time. I think he's going to hit 50. And if he does, I have a I have a hypothetical question for you. It is too early to really start seriously talking about the MVP. And that's really not what I'm trying to get us into here. But if he plays like this at the end of the year, we're certainly going to have him in the conversation for MVP. And I want to take you all the way back to last year. Yeah, not even last year. It was like eight months ago when the conversation was Otani versus Judge in the MVP. And all of the pro-Judge people, uh, aside from Wally hit 62 home runs, were saying, what are you going to do? Just give it to Otani every year because he pitches and hits. And now we're going to say Judge can win it again. I feel like there's going to be some cognitive distance there. I know I'm skipping ahead like four months. That's going to be the conversation. Very excited for it. <laughs> no doubt people will just sort of adjust their commentary based on whether or not the Angels stay in the play, they'll, they'll concoct something. Well, the Angels didn't stay in the playoff. Right? It just anyway. Can I just say something? We, we don't do like our rants on this show anymore, but I'm taking like 30 seconds for a quick run. Uh, something that comes up every time the Yankees go to Seattle, as they just did, is this massive home run he hit in 2017. The Stackers didn't track, and everybody's like, oh, "I hit it out of the stadium. It was 1,200 feet." And Mariners PR put an estimate on it of 440, which infuriated everybody. So I went and I actually looked at it, and I looked very close, and you know what I realized. That ball did not go out of the stadium. You can very clearly see a man in a white Mariners jersey and a beer catch the ball in the third row, did not go out of the stadium. And I have like an unofficial stack-assy way to put an estimate on it. And I did my own and I came up with 443. So even though that's a tremendous buzzkill, that is my rant is I didn't hit it out of the stadium, wasn't 600 feet. The cameraman seems like he fell over and couldn't. I think that's what it was. The cameraman was like all over the place. That's what that was. I'm sorry. That's my actual memory of that home run because folks were freaking out that the distance didn't track and they were fighting about it on Twitter. And I remember being like, this is overshadowing this amazing catch that this man made on a judge home run, which right. like, was exactly. totally went ignored when it should have been like its own like viral clip of this like dude like throwing his hand up in the stands and catching it. So I'm glad you noticed that as well. Totally. Didn't hit it out of the stadium. Super cool home run. Aaron Judge rules. All right, here's our second topic. The National League Central has five teams within four and a half games of each other. That's right. The last place Cubs and Cardinals are only four and a half games out of first place. The Cardinals uh, are the best run differential team in the division at plus seven 
They're tied for last. The Brewers, who are leading the division, have been outscored by 26 runs. I looked this up before. If you set aside 2020, if you set aside strike shortened seasons like 1981, only five teams have ever won a division with a negative run differential. Three of these teams were in the NL West somehow. Uh, Diamondbacks, Padres, and Giants each did it once. The 1984 Royals did it. And the infamous 1987 Minnesota Twins, who won the World Series that year despite being outscored by 20 runs. Matt, I think you and I have been pretty consistent that we didn't really believe in the Pirates. They just went 8 and 18 in May, and I think that's kind of playing out. Um, we have had a lot of questions about the Cardinals, but I don't know that I believe in the Brewers either. And the Cardinals are sort of on their way back up. Like it's kind of still been inconsistent. Jordan Walker is coming back up. I guess my question is this, are we going to have a team winning the division with a losing record? And now think about this carefully because of the balanced schedule, there's fewer in division games, right? So they play, if you're playing in the division, that's obviously a guaranteed 500 in that game, but there's fewer of those. Are we going to have a team win the division under 500? I don't think that will happen. Um, But you know what I always like to remind people, and I may have said this on the podcast before, one thing that is forgotten because of the 1994 strike that ended the season prematurely is that the Rangers, this was the first year with three divisions in each league. So this is the first time this had ever happened and people were speculating this could happen. The Rangers at the time of the strike were leading the American League West with a 52 and 62 record. <laughs> so in the first year with three divisions, we were almost certainly going to have a team with a division with losing record. Has not happened since. Um, it could be close. I mean... It is amazing that the Cardinals are finally having for the first time ever, like a complete kind of like disaster, disappointing season, not first time ever, first time in a long time, disappointing season. And it's still setting up for them to win the division. They're going to win the division. Um, I've, I've never, I don't trust a single one of these other teams. You know what the weird part is? You know which team I'm the most interested in right now? It's the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, no question. They're like kind of, they're kind of fun and spooky because it's like these, a bunch of sort of like second tier prospects. And like four A guys who are all kind of playing at the height, the, the peak of their their ability, and it's it's pretty cool. You can just say TJ Friedel. It's like it's okay. Um, not all second tier prospects. Like Ellie De La Cruz, obviously, is first tier prospect, which we hope he. Will but he's not on to. the team yet. But he will be. But that's the thing. It's like part of what the excitement is what you think they will look like. I mean, Matt McLean, who uh, has been up, you know, only for two weeks, he's getting three fifty four. Like he's been very exciting. You know, Spencer Steer, who man, if you go back to that. Uh, Tyler Molly trade because like Molly barely pitched for the twins and then he got hurt and um and it looks like it's really going to pay off for the Reds and I say that if you'd asked me two months ago hey would you be interested in the Reds for this year I would say no they're not going to be very good but I think they've got three very interesting starting pitchers right well Hunter Green's been pretty good uh Nick Lodolo was terrible and now he's hurt and Graham Ashcraft has been terrible and in fact the entire rotation outside of Hunter Green has been routinely terrible I mean I think that's where the downfall is going to come um, I hope Joey Votto comes back. I actually hope the Reds win the division. I don't think they will, but I think the door is there for them, and I think that's going to make it interesting. We're we're aligned. It's going to be the Cardinals. Look, we say this almost regretfully because this is the weakest Cardinals team we've seen in about thirty five years, but it's going to be the Cardinals, right? It sort of it sort of feels that way. I mean they 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 they're bringing Jordan Walker back, which is interesting because he 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 hit well in AAA, and now they actually seem like because of injuries they probably have a spot for him to play, and hopefully he can actually like kind of get settled in and be the player that people were expecting him to be. Now, of course, that raises questions about what they'll do when some of these guys come back from injury, but you worry about that when it happens. But um, they still have like you know some real impact players in their lineup. The starting pitching is not 
particularly good, but I think that the high-end talent is there for them to – I mean, it's amazing that we sit here and they're, what, like four and a half games out? Is that like – it's just – after all that, that they're, you know – they like went fifteen and thirteen, and they you know they they gained significant ground on the first first place team in the division. I mean this. I mean this respectfully. Um, people who are not Cardinals fans don't like the Cardinals, and it's got nothing to do with like the best fans in baseball or anything like that. It's just because nothing ever seems to go badly for them. You know, like there are teams that have up years and down years, and not for the Cardinals. And you finally get to a year where things are falling apart, and not only on the field, there's controversy, there's strife. And they're going to win the division with eighty three wins. Which is like the most Cardinals thing you can do. Well, I think, I mean, you know, sort of the other thing that's interesting about this division is also because the teams are so, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, mediocre, there's going to be a lot of questions at the trade deadline about some of the players on some of these teams and like, are they buyers or sellers? Because there might be some aggressive buyers and there are some players that would be really interesting. Perfect examples of the Cubs, right? It's pretty funny. Last week we recorded our show. The Cubs had just taken two or three from the Mets and it was like, hey, like, I forgot who we, I can't remember who we were talking about, but it was like, oh, the Cubs are kind of interesting. And they went and got swept by the Reds. And then suddenly like the Cubs fans were like, oh, sky's falling. We're terrible. We're in last place. Yes, they're in last place, but they're four games back in the loss column. It was uh, um, Christopher Morell. That's who we were speaking about. Oh, that's who we were talking about. But then, but then of course, like they, um, you know, they have Marcus Stroman, who's been pitching really well. He can opt out of his contract after this season. And, if they're out of it, he's a trade candidate. But like, are they actually going to sell? Because the Cubs kind of went into the season trying to raise expectations for their team, where it's like, hey, we signed Swanson, you know, we we got Bellinger, who was p- pretty good before he got hurt. And it's like, would they actually sell? Unlikely, but there's going to be demand for starting pitching. You know, you look at the Brewers last year; they traded Josh Hader. There's already rumors they could trade Corbin Burns this 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 trade deadline, right? And I. It's possible they might do it even if they're in first place. So it's there's there's a lot of intrigue here. I mean, if you told me going into the season, I would have said, like, you know what? The Reds should really look at trading Alexis Diaz. Like, cost control reliever. If you're a rebuilding team, why would you want to hold on to a like this is trade him while his value will never be will never be higher. But like if they're in the race, they're not gonna trade him. So it's just like there's a the, the, they this division has as sort of like Mediocre as it seems in terms of the race itself, there's all these other implications of how it could affect the rest of the race and sort of the the the, the supply and demand on the trade market. I'd like to say I had anything else positive to say about the NL Central teams, but I don't. So on to our third topic, Joe Ryan, uh, despite getting hit by Houston the other day, has had a great year for like a shockingly good Minnesota Twins rotation. And considering what we just said about the National League Central and considering what most of the American League Central looks like, I want to take a minute to thank the Twins for being good. Because if we had 10 unimpressive teams in the Centrals, that would not be okay. So thank you to the Twins, mostly because I picked you to win the division and you're making me look good. Joe Ryan, um, I want to get into like all the things that make him interesting. But you know how like it's become almost a baseball meme over the years? Don't trade with the Rays, right? Because if the Rays want your guy, I mean, even this morning, there was like a nothing minor trade where they're getting Robert Stevenson out of Pittsburgh. And half of baseball Twitter was like, what do they know? He's the next guy. They're very smart, of course, but sometimes they have guys like Joe Ryan and they trade him for 55 games of over the hill Nelson Cruz. Like it happens sometimes. They once had Herman Marquez. They had Jake Cronenworth. Like they're not perfect. These things happen, right? I, I can't remember. I, 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 it was many years ago. I think it might have been Sam Miller, the baseball writer who tweeted this. Yes. I know it was like, great trade for the Rays. Who'd they get? Who'd they get? <laughs> and that, that was like 10 years ago. 
Uh, Joe Ryan is really fascinating to me because, you know, obviously he's pitching very well. 277 ERA. He's got uh, 76 strikeouts. That's almost 11 per nine and only 13 walks under two per nine. And the reason he's so interesting is because he just doesn't throw that hard comparatively. He's got a fastball that's under 93 miles an hour, which these days is essentially a knuckleball. And he throws that 60% of the time. And over the last two years, like, you know, part of 21 and most of 22, he was viewed as a guy who you know, was going to be pretty good, but didn't have what it took to make that next step forward. You know, he throws from an interesting arm angle. If you know the vertical approach angle, he's kind of the poster boy of that. But when you're throwing 92 and you don't have great secondary pitches, like how far is that going to be able to get you? Well, he went to driveline last year, which I guess is like the, he went to Jared. Is that a thing people know outside of New York? I guess I don't know if that's like a national campaign. I'm going to find out apparently. Um, most guys go to driveline and learn a new pitch. He learned two new pitches. He got a sweeper and a splitter and he ditched his changeup and he ditched his curveball and he's still using his old slider. This is why we label them differently. He's got a slider and a sweeper. I know there's a lot of old pitching coaches who hate that. They are different pitches. If you don't think they are, tell me why we label four seamers and sinkers differently. Are all fastballs the same? No. Are all sliders the same? No. That rant aside, um, his splitter, he's throwing it with much less uh, spin than his changeup, 63% as much spin with nine more inches of drop. Thank you. And his sweeper has 15 inches of break five times more than his slider. And the reason I tell you that is because that has solved his biggest problem from last year, which is when you're throwing a good fastball in the zone and you don't have great secondaries, no one's chasing. Last year, he was in the 33rd percentile for chase rate. This year, he is in the 98th percentile in chase rate. So he's got the sweeper going one way and the splitter going down and the great fastball that's kind of hard to hit. And all of a sudden, he looks like an ace. Like he is one of the best pitchers on one of the best rotations in baseball. Uh, if you set aside 2020, this year's twins have the team's best ever starting pitching ERA plus in part because of Ryan, in part because Sonny Gray's been awesome somehow. Uh, Bailey Ober, Louis Varlin, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan's been great. And as I remember, five months or so ago, uh, you were sitting next to me and said, hey, should I keep Joe Ryan for my fantasy team? And I was like, you absolutely should. And I never followed up with you, and I really hope you did. Uh, I did. And then also the other thing I'll say is that – well, so thank you. Um, last year, I'm almost, I'm almost like ashamed that you're kind of downplaying how good he was last year because the reason I, I associate you with Joe Ryan is that last year before 2021, you picked him for AL, I think, Rookie of the Year. What? Um, did I? Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. That's great. Thank you for remembering that. But then you just downplayed how good how you're like oh like you basically just said oh he sucked last year this year he's really oh. good last year he was pretty good he had a three five five ERA he actually just took it to the next level this he had a year limited ceiling um, last year that's what it was limited ceiling. yeah but last year he had a three five five ERA with a three five seven expected ERA so it was he he came by it honestly and this year he's he's at a two seven seven ERA with a two forty seven expected ERA so that's the point the point you're you're making about how his expected metrics are much better and it's because of the the uh, getting people to chase like he didn't before and has really taken his game to the next level. Yeah, and I think we've, we we have maybe have mentioned this before, but last year, um, Rocco Baldelli was getting killed by Twins fans for never letting his starters go deep in games. They hated him for it. And this year, they're going deep into games, and it's not like he's, you know, discovered you know some kind of new outlook on life it's because last year he had dylan bundy and chris archer and guys who aren't in the majors anymore and like, why would you be asking them to do things that they're not really capable of doing turns out having better players allows you to make better decisions who would have thought sometimes baseball is not that complicated we'll take a quick break and matt and i will each introduce a guy you should know a little bit more about this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. To end each show, Matt and I like to highlight an under-the-radar guy you should know a little bit more about. We have each picked an American League guy who has been on a number of teams, which I guess is true for many of the guys we talk about here, but I'm proud of us. Neither one of them is a reliever who just got to the major leagues three weeks ago. We both went position <laughs> players. Matt, who do you have? Well, I, earlier this week, you mentioned how you were you wanted to talk about Riley Green on the podcast this week because he'd been starting really starting to play well. Of course, Riley Green went and got hurt, so we didn't have a Tiger to talk about. However, I decided to fill that void by talking about my guy this week, Zach McKinstry of the Tigers. Zach McKinstry was like one of these guys who came up to the Dodgers organization, like a lot of guys who come up to the Dodgers organization, who kind of made himself into a prospect when he was like not that at all. He went to Central Michigan University, which I looked up on a map. There's never been a more appropriately named college than Central Michigan. If you look at where it is in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, it is directly in the center of Michigan. It's pretty amazing. Um, he went to Central Michigan. He was a 33rd round pick of the of the Dodgers in 2016. Right. He went to play, he actually went to play in the Cape Cod League that summer, which is something that late round picks sometimes do to try and like improve their, their leverage to basically say if they play really well, they could say to the team that, 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 uh, that drafted them, like, hey, if I go back to college for my senior year, I might be a fifth round pick next year and you're going to miss out on me. So maybe you'll give me a little more money. So the, Dodgers t- the Dodgers signed him that July, and he told a local paper um, in 2016, I thought this was interesting, he said, I could have gone back to college, but money-wise, I don't think there's a big difference between the 33rd round and the 22nd or the 11th. That's not exactly true, but whatever. And then he says, playing pro baseball was always a dream of mine, and the Dodgers have a good reputation for homegrown players. And so I thought it was really interesting to hear a player have that awareness and be like, you know what, this is actually an organization – I may be sacrificing a little money right now, but I can get into this organization right now. I can improve a lot and get to the big leagues. And sure enough, Zach McKinstry just performed in the minors year in and year out, moved up slowly through the Dodgers system, never like a huge power guy, really good OBP, hit for average, nice, solid player, always put up good stats. Debut with the Dodgers in 2020, like a lot of people, 2020 was their debut season, just didn't go well. He got cups of coffee the last couple of years. There was always like, hey, another interesting Dodgers guy. This could be like another player. It just like didn't really happen for him. Last July was traded um, to the Cubs for Chris Martin, the reliever. And then this year, just before the season started, he was traded by the Cubs to the Tigers for Carlos Guzman. And lo and behold, the Tigers started playing him. And actually, I should say that's before I say when he was when he was acquired the Tigers' new GM, president. I think he's president of baseball operations, Scott Harris, had an interesting quote. He said, Zach has dominated minor league pitching since 2018. He's not the first prospect that has raked in, minor league, in the minor leagues and struggled to translate that performance in his first 300 plate appearances, and he won't be the last. And sure enough, Zach McKinstry has been playing regularly for the Tigers, 
and he's been playing really well. His 400 OBP would rank 11th. Among, he ranks 11th among players with at least 150 plate appearances. He's top 10 percentile in expected batting average, expected weight on base, and walk walk rate. He's versatile. He's been playing three positions. He's been play, played 22 games at second, 19 games in the outfield, 12 games at third. He's also been an incredibly efficient base stealer, 10 for 11 in stolen bases, which is actually pretty wild because in his minor league career, he was 27 for 47 in terms of stealing bases. But in the majors, he's been incredible at it. Um, so I think it's really cool to see. Like, he's 28 years old, probably not a star player, but, like, he's performing well. The sort of underlying metrics support it. There's a ver- it's, there's some versatility there. You know, it's it's nice to see a player like that kind of maybe start to put things together and have the makings of, like, an interesting career. For sure. Part of the reason the Dodgers let Kika Hernandez go, who had been, like, their main utility guy play all over the places. McKinstry was ready and they kind of thought he'd be the replacement and it just didn't work out. Um, I have two Zach McKinstry notes for you. The first is uh, in 2021, when he was still with the Dodgers, he hit the first team, the team's first home run of the season. And it was a very course field home run. You know, he hit it to the outfield, Ramel Tapia jumped to try to keep it in the park and he banged himself on the fence and he hurt himself and it ended up being an inside the park home run. It was the first Dodger to have his first career home run being inside the parker since duke snyder way back in 1940 that's one fact this one is less of a fun fact because it's not fun and just more of a question about the editorial standards of wikipedia um this is noted on his page while playing for waterloo in 2015 he learned that his parents house had burned to the ground in a fire why do we need to know that why is that there that's not fun it's not interesting i don't feel like we don't need to have that on wikipedia that's that's not very nice that was it was actually written in the story that I quoted from 2016 that was actually mentioned and that was the summer before he was drafted and he said that like he was distracted and that's why he performed poorly and it hurt his draft stock because he was like I just lost my my childhood home and like all my possessions okay and <laughs> I'm serious. I'm I'm glad you chose um, him. I'm I'm not, I'm not sure. I I can't I can't vouch for the fact that that's true. But he that's what he said was that I really like. And not, I mean I gotta say it seems seems legitimate. Yeah, I, I'm glad you chose him because it's been a pretty rough week for the Tigers. Right, Riley Green fractured his leg as you noted. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez hurt his finger. I think it is. He's going to be out for a minute. It hasn't been a great season for Detroit anyway. And you have these bright spots, and now they're falling apart. So here's the Zach McKinstry. Okay, my guy kind of goes against everything I just said about Joe Ryan in terms of not trading with the race. My guy is Tampa Bay outfielder Jose Siri. This year, you would look at him and say, my God, this guy's an MVP. He has a 144 OPS plus, which is great. His speed rating is 98. His arm rating is 97. Last year, he was the third best outfielder in terms of outs above average. Uh, and he basically has replaced Kevin Kiermaier. And he's got a lot of the same uh, skills out there. Super fast, amazing jumps. He's like the king of making it look easy. These very tough plays where he makes them look super easy. But you want to talk about a winding road as to how Jose Siri got here. He was signed by the Reds in 2012 out of the Dominican Republic and did not get past a ball until 2018 and then in 2019 in part of the season at triple a he hit 186 so here's his 2020 we all had wild 2020s he is no exception uh he was dfa'd by the reds in january to make room for nicholas castellanos claimed by the mariners the next month claimed by the giants the next month dfa'd by the giants didn't actually play anywhere in 2020 and in december his fourth organization of the year signed a minor league deal in houston uh, came up in 2021 after most of the year spent in AAA. And this is great. I'm just going to quote this from a story because I think it's fascinating. Uh, in in his 
first ever start in the majors on September 13th. He went four for five with two home runs and five batted in. He was the first player since the RBI came official in 1920 to have that many RBI along with multiple home runs in their first ever start as a major leaguer. That's pretty cool. In 2022, he kind of got stuck in the three-headed center field monster there with uh, with Myers and McCormick, actually got traded to the Rays in the three-way deal that sent Trey Mancini to Houston. That doesn't look very good for Houston right now because Trey Mancini didn't really do that much, and Jose Siri looks great. So he has come to Tampa Bay. Um, he's kind of you know hitting the ball harder. He's playing great defense. He's a big part of their success. He's also super interesting. So he has tons of tattoos and um one of them is uh, the 100 emoji, right? Like the upward red 100 emoji. He's also got a, uh, a diamond, I don't know if it's diamond, but he's got a necklace that says 100. And so Adam Berry, who is our raised beat reporter, asked him after the trade, he's like, why, what does it mean? And Jose Siri turns around and answered in English, 100% every time, which I respect. And like everything I've read about him says that he is uh, is a great guy. He is like always full of energy. Um, he continued to say, everything running hitting in the dugout on the field even at my house 100 percent. he's apparently known as winter ball mike trout i'm not sure if he gave himself that nickname but if not it's cool here's the last thing i have been saying that we're talking about jose siri now our friend jake mintz who you might know as suspicious family barbecue on twitter uh, spent some time with him and here is a tweet i found of him from february of 2020 it's not pronounced like the iphone lady it's actually siri which is interesting to me. Now, I want to know, are we have we all just gotten it wrong all this time? Or has he just sort of accepted we're going to get it wrong and he has stopped trying to correct people? Which is kind of sad if so. We should say the man's name correctly. And uh, I guess it's going to be Jose Siri on this show going forward because that's what he told Jake it was. And I trust Jake. But anyway, another big part of the race success, finding a guy who'd been DFA'd like four times. And now he's your starting center fielder. Go race and go Jose Siri. I want to make two points on that. One of which is I was at a Rays Mets game at City Field a couple weeks ago. And this is like one of those things you only fully appreciate when you're watching a game in person. You just can't get it on TV because the camera angle. His closing speed on fly balls in the gap is incredible and is really fun to watch. Like you see, you see him go after a ball in the gap. It's, you know, it's 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 pretty fantastic. The second thing I will say, Trey Mancini was terrible for the Astros, but he did make that one great defensive play in the World Series where he <laughs> like smothered the ball at first base. That would have been a game-dying hit by Kyle Schwarber. Okay. So he did have at least one. The Astros, hey, they won the World Series. Trey Mancini had a huge play in a high win probability swing moment. So at least there's that. Flags fly forever. You know what? You got me there. I can't argue with that. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.